That commercial sums up what most commercials during Christmas uh, tell us that Christmas is all about. And, and the message is clear. The message is, it couldn't be more obvious. Buy happiness. Buy it. You can get it on sale right now. Like never before. At 50% off, you can buy happiness. You can have it now. The, the sound wasn't real clear on that, but one of the things that said in that commercial was that the, 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 that, that vehicle, if you'll buy that vehicle, that it will give you joy. Now, that's a lie. Can't give you joy. Now, it can give you happiness, but joy is too deep. Joy is, is too precious. And, and joy is too permanent to purchase. It's something that, that comes from a deeper place. There's a major difference between happiness and joy. They're both good things. Happiness is like $100. It, it can buy something. It can buy you something that you can have that can make you happy. Joy, joy is like a hug. It's something that moves you deeply. Something that comforts you and draws you and keeps you, holds you there. I cannot tell you how many times I've been on foreign soil or away from my home, very busy, uh, maybe in another state, and, and have talked to my wife or children in that moment how I would, I would gladly give $100 for a hug. You know, I, I need at times that, that sense, that comfort, that strength, something that, that means so much. Now, you can't buy anything with a hug. You can buy a lot with $100. But there's something you can gain. And it's joy. Our missionaries are here. I was thinking about Mark and Parker and Will and Laura as they were sharing last night with a group of us and, and talking about their calling, talking about how they see God at work. But, but I couldn't help but think about how many times their family and friends, and how many times even they would have given gladly $100 to get a hug. For those, those, their grandparents to be able to hug those children, to be able to hold them, to be able to give them something that money can't buy. And it's joy. Happiness is not a bad thing. It's just not permanent. Happiness doesn't have the staying power that joy does. Joy has the power to strengthen the mind and heart of a person regardless of circumstance. And that's the difference. Joy does not, does not depend on circumstances. Happiness does. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances to strengthen the mind and the heart of a person. Now, Christmas brings, for most, both happiness and joy. You're going to get some things, potentially, that will make you happy. But what's so funny about it is, is soon those things will grow old. They'll get out of style. They'll break. But there is a joy that comes with the message and the meaning of Christmas that is eternal that sustains us and draws us and gives life meaning. Today, we're going to look at that joy. We're going to look at, at what it is to have this joy and, and what it is that it means. So, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Matthew chapter 2. Jason, Carol, Kylie, and Connor Mosby are going to come. They're going to provide our reading today. Kylie's actually going to be our reader. She was baptized just last week, and so we're honored to get to have her come and read our scripture for us. 
And so let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 10 through 12. Callie, if you would, just stand right here. There you go. Are you ready? All right, go ahead. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Word of God. Great job, Kylie. Thanks, Mosley. Thank you so much. Amen. Yeah, go ahead and give her a hand. So good. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's, let's talk about this. I, I love the whole experience of the wise men. I love what they bring to this story of Christmas. There's a lot that's said with their involvement at all. The fact that, that these men were, were canonized. That is, they were, they were put into the, the Holy Word of God so that we would be able to reflect on the story, to understand it from, from a perspective that goes beyond the, the, the people of Israel. Uh, the, their involvement tells us many things. First of all, geographically, it tells us what happened in a small town in a forgotten country matters to the whole world. Let's not forget, we all know Bethlehem. We've, we've heard the, of the city of Bethlehem. We've, we've sung, O little town of Bethlehem. We, we're familiar with this little city. But at the time of the coming of Jesus, no one knew this town. No one cared anything about this city and the world. At this point, Rome had taken over. At this point, everything that was happening was happening in Italy. It wasn't happening in Palestine and some little backwood city. And yet, everything was happening there. In that moment, God was taking on flesh. And, and geographically, what seemed to be irrelevant was actually universally the most important thing cosmically that had ever happened in all of creation. And these guys' involvement remind us of that because they were drawn by a star. They saw something in the universe that said to them, this is crucial. This is important. This is what it's all about. And, and their involvement tells us many things also prophetically. That God keeps His promises and He follows His plan. When they came to the city, they were asking for directions, right? And, and what, do they, what do the leaders tell them? They say, okay, the prophecy says, the promise God made was that this Messiah, this king would come in the town of Bethlehem. And, and what it strikes in my mind when I read that is the reminder of all the prophecies that were made about the coming of Jesus. About how from the very beginning, at the fall even, God said, I will one day, I will one day come and rescue my people. And he said to Satan, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And then in Genesis 12, as, as God speaks and calls Abram, he says that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then we see all throughout Scripture, not just among the, the minor prophets, not just among the major prophets. We, we see in, in, the, in, the, in the Pentateuch and all the way through in the Old Testament, the, the signs of God, the promises of God, the, the plan of God that He was going to bring salvation. And what we see happening here is a fulfillment of this plan, and it gives us hope. It gives us joy. 
Because we know that our God is in control. And we know that He fulfills His promises. Geopolitically, it reminds us that nothing can keep God from accomplishing His purpose. Doesn't that make you feel good to know? There is no government. There is no king or kingdom. There is no one that can stop our God. Here is Herod. He is attempting with all of his power to to remove this threat to his reign. And he can't do it. No one can stop God. These wise men have come. They're talking to the king. And they're very aware that there's something that is bigger than what this world can produce. And finally, nationalistically, God is drawing people from all nations and tribes and tongues. These men were not Jews. We see here, again, the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that God was going to bless all nations. And so here come these men from the east, probably Persian, and here they come, having heard of the prophecies of their homeland from from times when when men like Daniel were there, and hearing of these these things that were to come, they were able to connect the dots, and here they see that, that God is making His way here, and that even they can believe. And it's exciting to think that we, as a family of faith here at Living Hope, we're a part of seeing God's plan unfurl, and for the nations to hear, and to be made glad that God has come. These guys were filled with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy because they found the answer to life. And so let's look at this. And let's, let's look at the joy of Christmas that we see in, in their part in the story of Christmas. Take note of this. The, the joy of Christmas is the life. The life that has come that now we can have. It says here in, in verse 10 in Matthew chapter 2, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Christmas is the celebration of the coming of life that overcomes death. Christmas is the climax of the story. You know that the story, we've talked about this, I'm going to continue to talk about this for decades. As, as, as long as I have voice, I'm going to speak to this reality that the Bible It's not a bunch of stories or sayings that are put together. It is a single story that is telling us how God has come to redeem a people for Himself. The Bible is divided, we know, into four sections. Creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. The story itself is broken down. We see, see, first of all, the creation. There is one God who created all things to be in harmony. We know that that is what is meant to be because every time we come in contact with death, every time we come in contact with any kind of pain, everything inside of us says, this is wrong, this is bad, This this is not how it's supposed to be. Many of you who have suffered loss, you know that feeling. I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but I want to ask you to be praying for... For Dan Edmondson and his wife Barb and their son Noah, they were they were already going uh, to see their family, and um, as providence would have it, in an unexpected uh, turn, um, Barb's dad died yesterday. And I want to ask you to be praying for them. And as I heard that news, of course, I'm thinking about today's message, and I'm I'm thinking about this this whole idea of creation. And in my heart, my heart was saddened. And I know that they are hurting and they are grieving as all who experience death. As, they, as we all grieve when we come in contact with that. Why do we grieve? Why does it hurt? Because we know that we were not made to die. We were made to live. We were made to be one with God. 
There was meant to be peace and life. Why do we desire it? Because that's what we were made for. And when God created this world, there was one God who created all things to be in harmony. What happened? Well, we sinned. We turned away from God. And the consequences were death. And so now death reigns. And so does pain because of sin. And sin is now moving and has left us in desperate need. But from the very beginning, God made a promise. Yes, He created this world, and yes, we messed it up in the fall, but then God made a promise that He would rescue us. He promised that He Himself would come. And what we celebrate at Christmas is the coming of God to rescue us from sin. What we celebrate at Christmas is the coming of life. Eternal life has come into finite form, in the form of a a human being. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And now He has come to rescue us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, is the coming of life. And we know He lived a holy life. And we know He laid down His life as a payment for our sin. And we also know that He has conquered death because of His resurrection. And so we know, having kept that promise, the next promise that is to be fulfilled is restoration. Jesus said, I will come again. And one day, this one God is going to return, and He is going to restore all things, and there will be harmony again. Until that time, we can celebrate at Christmas that Christ has come just as He promised He would. And we can remember that life has come. And we can experience that joy. But that joy also points us forward to the reality that Jesus is coming again. He promised He would come the first time, and He did. He promised that He would come again and make all things new, and He will. And that is our joy. It's the joy of this life, of this reality, of this hope. There is joy that comes with the signs of life. Now, these guys, they, they saw the star. The star wasn't the life. The star was the sign of life. They knew that that star was pointing them to the life that had come. You know, it's, it's always fun to talk to dads who are dads for the first time. Anytime dad, when a baby is coming, because... Honestly, it's so different for a dad as opposed to a mom because mom, from the very beginning, feels and senses the signs of life, whether it's morning sickness or, or, or just fatigue. Mom knows life has come. But for dads, we watch the ultrasound and it's like, huh. I guess that's a baby. Don't you see its eyes and nose and mouth and... Yeah, I see that. There, it's great. Good. All right. We're done here, right? But then the first time a dad sees or feels that baby kicking. Oh, that's different. There are signs of life. There's something, oh my goodness. I do need to get that baby's bed built. We do need to buy all this stuff. Let's go. Here's the credit card. Here's some cash. Here's the checkbook. Let's get on with this. It's time. Well, because for the dad, until there are the signs of life, there's no joy. There's no excitement. But when it happens, that's, there's, there's just this excitement. These guys, they, they saw the star. And it says when they saw the star, they, they were felt, they were compelled, they were overwhelmed, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because the life had come. And so it is for us today. The life has come. 
And they were so near to it. That's, that was part of the joy too. They could see the star and they knew the location. They knew it was about to happen. They knew what they could have. They could have access to this life. And here's the good news for us today. Because Christ is alive, we can have access to that life right now. You can have that life in you. It's an amazing thing to consider that God has come to live in us. To give us new life. And, and that's what you have to understand about Christianity. If you don't understand Christianity, let me explain it to you in, in this very simple term. There, there are other religions out there, and, and this week I've had some of the most interesting conversations uh, with, with folks of different faith systems. And, and, and some were humanists, secular humanists, humanism, which is, which is certainly a, a religion in and of itself, although they would never want to categorize it as that. It's exactly what it is. With, with a Hindu and, and with a Muslim. And in, in all those situations, the thing that I tried to explain was what is different from what you believe versus what we believe, which, by the way, although they have different symbols and they have different ways of, of names for the same thing, they're... Their focus is all the same. It's on themselves and what they have to do to get what they want. In all other world religions, it's about what we do to get what it is we want. Whereas in Christianity, it's completely different. God has come to us because we cannot get to Him. And where all the other world religions, everything that they teach is, you've got to augment your life. You've got to add things to your life that will make you worthy of the divinity or, or make you worthy to, to have what it is you ultimately want that will satisfy you, which th- there is no satisfaction in that. I tried to explain to them. For the Christian, our joy comes from the fact that God is not adding to our life. He's not just giving us something else to add to who we are right now. He gives us new life. We are born again. Our old life is done. We are given new life in Christ. And this life in Christ means that God is with us. He is our Emmanuel. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And He is for us. He is not against us. No longer does sin separate us from God. We have been made righteous by His grace. And so He is now alive in us. We have a new life. He is now with us. He will never leave us. And He is for us as we go forward. There's hope in that. There's life in that. And there's joy. There is unbounding, exceedingly great joy. Second, the joy of Christmas is the greater blessing that has come that we can have. That in going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. And look what they did. Say it out loud with me. What did they do? And they, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. King Herod wanted to be worshipped. He didn't want to worship the king. He told the wise men, go and find out and give me word so I too can go and worship him. Of course, we, we know that, that he didn't go to that town. He did not send troops to worship. He sent troops to kill. Why? Because he worshipped himself. Self-worship is a miserable way of life. It always leads to misery. Not only for that person, but for the people around them. The wise men wanted to worship God. When we worship God, when we truly worship Him, we discover our hearts are full because only eternal God can satisfy the eternal longing of our heart. 
One of the things I hope that you will do when you come to worship, not just when we gather on Sunday, but when you worship each day, as you get alone with God, is that you will take time as you read the Word of God, as you meditate on what is said there, that you will allow yourself to answer a a simple but profound question. What does this tell me about the greatness of God? Because here's what I know. Until you have come to terms with the greatness of who God is, you will never truly worship Him. You can't. Because in order to worship, you've got to be able to exalt. You've got to be able to look up. And if all you're doing in your worship is asking yourself, am I pleased? Do I like this? Is this what I want? That self-worship leads to misery, not only for you, but to those who are around you. But when you truly worship God, and you see Him for who He is, it satisfies the longing of your heart. Because here's what is in our heart. Eternity, Scripture says. We have an eternal longing. And a car won't fill it. Another person won't fill it. Another thing, another gadget, another song, another experience, another trip. It won't fill the longing of your heart because the longing is eternal. And it's only when we can see God as He is, holy, eternal, powerful, loving, gracious, merciful, righteous, just, all that He is, our our hearts will always feel empty and life will always seem meaningless. But when we can see God for who He is, our heart's longing at least sees the object of what it desires. Our minds are full because only the eternal God can satisfy the eternal truth our minds long for. There's no end to the imaginations of humanity. Our imaginations are vast because the, the world, the universe in which we are in is vast. Have you ever wondered, why in the world did God make this thing so big? Because He's big. And He has given us the capacity to imagine to look beyond what we, what we can see in just a moment and to imagine worlds and realities beyond what we can even experience. Why did God do that? So that we could get a sense of His greatness. So that we could know that there is something, someone, beyond anything that we could ever see. And, and beyond even our imaginations. Our imaginations are there to draw us beyond ourselves, but to the One who can fill our minds with the eternal truth with eternal reality, this Logos, this this One who is knowledge incarnate. And when we see Christ for who He is, our minds are blown. And we worship God. And our minds are enthralled. And then our lives, they are made full. Because only God can make us what we long to be. I can remember when I was saved. I didn't like who I was. Now, if you talked to me, if you met me, you would think I was, I was, I was, I was very, uh, very satisfied. If you were to talk with me and to be around me, you, you would almost, well, you would, you would say, that, that young man's arrogant. He thinks he's it. Reality is, faking it. Faking it like almost everyone at times does. But the reality was, I wasn't who I wanted to be. And the reality is, I couldn't be who I always wanted to be absent the presence of God Almighty in my life. I needed a new life. 
I needed something beyond myself. And it couldn't be something created. I couldn't be defined by football because football season comes to an end. I couldn't be defined by a thing, a car, a, a position, and neither can you. Well, he's a family man. Well, that's, that's good, but even families fall apart, and families don't always, they don't always work out perfectly. And anyone who says they have a perfect family, watch out to lie about other things, right? There's no created thing that can make you what you long to be. Only God can do that. And when you see Him for who He is, and when you imagine and as you look beyond your reality to, to, to God, and as you consider the life that you want, and you realize that only God can give it, it is then you truly worship. It's then you're truly satisfied. Be careful what you worship. St. Augustine said, Whatever it is you worship, that is what you shall become. Think about that. Whatever you focus your mind's attention on, and whatever it is you value as the highest and greatest, that is what you become. Why is that? Well, let me give you an illustration. When I was, when I was a kid, football was everything to me. And there were quarterbacks that I wanted to be emulate. Not just quarterbacks, but football players. You know, you guys remember, I'm going to go old school. Some of you guys remember these. Some, some of you guys remember Tony Dorsett and Danny White. Show of hands. Yes. The Cowboys. America's team. After the Roger Stahlbecker then came in this year, and I wanted to be these guys. And I can remember being on my mom and dad's bed at night with a football, and when Tony Dorsett would run, I would run on the bed, and every time he got tackled, I would fall on the bed because I wanted to be like him. And then years later, there was Bernie Kosar. How many of you guys remember Bernie Kosar? Yeah, you remember how he would like hold his, put his leg back when he was going to take a snap? I thought that was so cool. I didn't know that he did that because he was slow. I just thought it was because it was cool. And so I remember I was doing that. And I remember my coach telling me that, that that was because he was slow. And then I didn't want to be Bernie Kosar anymore. And then I got a worse person to worship, Jim McMahon. How many of you guys remember Jim McMahon? And the Bears. The Bears. And the defense. Right, Chris Berman for you there. And he was a terrible... But I began to emulate this, this man as I went into my teen years... Everything I found out about him, I, I'd wear the headband like he did. Yes. And that's when I had hair. Yes, I know you're starting to connect the dots. I get it. Yes, it was a mullet. It was a business in the front and the party in the back, right? And I, I just wanted to be just like him. And I studied him. And, and I began to think about what, what, what was it like? What was it be like to him? What, how could I be like him? I was worshiping him. And you know what? I began to be like him. Whatever you worship, that's what you become. You know, there's a lot of folks, they, they worship things, they worship money. And so they become cold, and they get used, and they're always afraid of what they're going to lose. There's those who, they worship other people, and they're often angry and scared that they won't impress and unsettled because they never know what everyone else is going to think. There's those who worship themselves. They're always empty because we are empty without God and broken because we are broken without God and dark because we are born with a sin nature. And then there's those who worship power. And yeah, they're often strong and they're often scary 
But they're often like King Herod. They're paranoid. You know, King Herod killed his wife and some of his children because they threatened his power. He had become what he worshipped. He had become something awful, something out of control. And, and whatever it is you worship, that is what you will become. So be careful what you worship. And understand that there is no greater blessing than knowing who God is, of rejoicing in your heart over who He is, and then studying Him, and emulating Him, and honoring Him, and being changed by who He is. There is no greater blessing than that. And that happens when you worship Him. Third, the joy of Christmas is the gift that He has come that we can have. So they come into the house, and you look in verse 11, the latter part there. Then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These men gave gifts that give us insight into the gift God gave us and His Son. Now, we need to be careful not to allegorize the Bible. We don't need to bring meaning where there is none. At the same time, we need to be careful not to miss the obvious. And what we see in these three gifts that are being given to Jesus, it's obvious what they are saying about who He is. Gold. Gold was symbolic of, of a king. They were saying to this one, you are king of kings and lord of lords. Frankincense is what they would use in worship. Not just, not just in monotheistic, uh, judo, Christian Judeo, uh, worship experiences. Many religions would use this frankincense as a, as a way to, to honor their God in prayer. And what they were saying is, you are the great priest. You are the king of kings. You are the high priest. And then myrrh. Myrrh was used often to coat the, the body of the dead to, to reduce the smell. And this gift spoke of the sacrifice that one day this child who was so alive would die. You know, it's easier for me to understand the difficulty that the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the leaders of the day had in trying to interpret the Scriptures rightly. We have the advantage of looking back and seeing the entire canon of Scripture revealed about who Jesus is. These guys were studying the Scriptures, and you get, you get just from the, uh, the prophecies of Isaiah, you, you hear about this one who is king, who is also priest, but who is also a suffering servant, and by His stripes we will be healed. You see it in these prophecies. And how confusing. How can, how can the king be from the line of Judah and also the priest, the high priest? How does that connect? And, and how can he be our king if he dies? Well, there, was, there were questions. We now look back at Christmas and our joy it's satisfied. And it, it is, a, it is a, a longing that is satisfied because we see here the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the King and the High Priest of heaven. And He is the one who has come to make sacrifice that we may live. This is the gift that we can have. This is the gift of Christmas that gives us joy. And last, the joy of Christmas is the way of life that has come that we can have. Look in verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they were departed to their own country by another way. A God-directed path that leads to God's home is what we desire. 
These men were told by the Word of God not to return the way that they had come. They were told to go another way. And these men acted in faith, and they took a different path. And you need to understand that as God's children, those who are redeemed by grace, we are called to a different path. And so if you're not a believer, you need to understand before you decide that you want to commit your life to Christ, you need to understand that if you are considering this, that this is a completely different path than the one you're currently on. This is a narrow way, and few find it. It is a difficult path that requires faith, not sight. It is a dangerous path where Satan seeks to devour those who are isolated and and wandering aside. It is a treacherous path where many will seek to dissuade you and discourage you from faithfulness. This narrow way, narrow way that requires faith where the enemy is attacking and where there are many things of the world that would tell us not to continue on. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way in which He walks. This is the path where you will find Him and He will be with you. It is a path filled with joy. It is a path that will satisfy the longings of your heart and mind and life. And it is the path that will lead you to a home in heaven where there will be harmony and peace eternal. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is our joy. Is there happiness? Yes. Praise God. For many there is. But for all who believe, There is joy. Deep, abiding, satisfying joy. And if you would like to have it this morning, I want to invite you to come and get on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Enter into my life. I will live for you. If you have this joy and you're on this path, maybe you need to come today and get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm... I'm not being faithful to the path. I'm I'm wandering off the path. Draw me back. Or maybe this morning you need to provide one of the most important gifts that you can give to another person and pray for them. And ask God to give them access that they might enter into this narrow way that they would believe. And for any who are struggling, that they would find the joy of Christmas in the person of Christ. And rest satisfied in who He is and what He's done. Let's stand together as we prepare to respond in prayer. Father, it is a joyous occasion this Christmas season. It's a time when we are allowed to, again, be renewed in our hope in the life and the peace and what You've done and who You are. This joy that we've spoken of today, Lord God, there's not a person here that doesn't want it. So I pray that there will be some today who will finally receive it. That they will come and repent of their sin and ask you to forgive them and submit themselves to you that you might take over their life. For others who are struggling with Christmas joy, that they would come today and they would draw strength from you, asking you to provide and to, and to be at work in significant, special ways. And God, that they would seek your blessing maybe on the behalf of others who are struggling. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you, that you're with us and you care. Be honored now as we praise your name and respond in faith.
In Jesus' name, amen.